Welcome to the Inclusive Growth Show with Toby Milden. Future-proofing your business by creating a diverse workplace. Hello there and welcome to this episode of the Inclusive Growth Show. I'm Toby Milden and in this episode I'm joined by a fabulous guest, uh, Joanne Lockwood. Uh, Joanne is a specialist in inclusion and belonging and she's got her own podcast as well, Inclusion Bites, which is available on all of the major podcast platforms. Uh, I'd like to say that her podcast is not as good as mine, but it probably is as good as mine. Um, Joanne, welcome to the show. Hi, Toby. It's an absolute pleasure. Thank you for inviting me on. Brilliant. It's great to have you on here. So, um, Joanne, what's you know you're you're, an, you're you're a specialist in diversity and inclusion and belonging. What what does diversity and inclusion and belonging mean to you? Well, I always start by saying that we we, we should avoid lumping those together because too often we have DNI and people think about diversity and inclusion like they're Tom and Jerry are hand in hand. What we need to think about is diversity is one element, inclusion another element, and then belonging is yet another element. And I'm a great believer in that when organisations start looking at this journey to whatever wherever their journey is, whatever their why of DNI is, that they start by thinking about their own values and mission and strategy and identifying what who they are as an organisation. You know, they quite often talk about their brand in terms of their products, but how often do they think about their brand in terms of their employee attraction, their employee retention, how people feel working with them and talking about so this is why I, that's my fundamental. And I think when the employer has this alignment of their vision, values, passion, the language with the people that work there, that's when you feel this sense of belonging. And this sense of belonging motivates you. It, it wants you to thrive. You feel this alignment with the, the with the values of the organization. And that's where most people want to be. They want to work with an, an employer, an organization that values them and they value working for. And I, and I always feel that from belonging, that sense of inclusion comes in because you're given a voice, you feel included, you're, you're uh, engaged, uh, valued for who you are. And then the output of that is diversity thrives. So rather than most people are, are looking at this hygiene, diversity, compliance, we're trying to hire more women, we're trying to hire more people with disabilities, we're trying to hire more, more black people. They'll forget that the, the culture, the mission, the values of the organization have to be right first. Otherwise, you're just hiring people into a toxic environment. So for me, diversity, inclusion, belonging, they're all separate but interlinked. And I, I say belonging is the starting point at the, and where you want to aim and diversity should follow. Yeah, because I, I organizations go on a journey, don't they? Because I often find that... Um, at the beginning of the journey, they could be blissfully unaware that uh, there are any issues around diversity and inclusion. You know, their, their business is doing well. There doesn't seem to be any any concerns. But of, sometimes then there's a tipping point, and that can be positive or negative. So on the negative side, it could be, uh, you know, an, an employee putting in a, a tribunal that's related to a particular protected characteristic um, or it could be positive, like the chief executive goes along to a conference and realizes the how important diversity and inclusion is. But then they, they but then organizations tend to focus on diversity first, which feels like it's a bit of a kind of numbers game. It's like, well, how many women do we have in the business? 
and at what level of the organization, how many people from an ethnic minority background, but then they move on to more of a conversation around inclusion. Is that, is that something that you, you've seen happen? I certainly see a lot of people talking about diversity. We need more diverse hires. We need to focus on diversity. And what is a diverse person? I keep asking people, you talk about diversity hiring, diversity people, diverse person. What is a diverse person? When is a woman a diverse person? Mm. Given that half the population, give or take, are women, women aren't diverse. The phrase I want to encourage people to use is underrepresented. Mm. We're underrepresented in this organization. So women are underrepresented, people of color, black people, people with disabilities, people with autism, whatever that may be, they're underrepresented. So what we're looking to try and do is, is increase representation of different people. So I think that the key thing is, I think language is important. I think we're going to talk about language in a minute. But language about how we talk, talk about things is important because people start to focus on diversity as the the nirvana, you know, as you, as you said, we can, end up, we can end up tokenizing if we're not careful. And what we want to do is, is understand why it's important to us as a business to have a gender balance. And we can quote McKinsey, we can do this, but fundamentally, if half the population are male, half the population are female, then it makes sense to have female representation in terms of product mm-hmm. design, in terms of customer service, in terms of looking at innovation, in terms of looking at opportunities that a man may yeah. not see. Um, and also bringing some EQ and some soft skills into the workplace that may not exist in a gender imbalanced environment. So this is when we talk about you know, these power diversity. But often when C-suite senior managers are looking at this, they're looking at the the number and the kind of the metric rather than the why behind it. It's, it's almost like they've learned that diversity is good but they haven't understood why it's good, and then try, and they, then they don't have to leverage that that competitive advantage or that that strength, and and that's that's where people walk out. Yeah, because organisations they should be like a mirror of society. Um, if if half the population is female and half the population is male, you know why is a business not reflecting that? Um, and it reminds me of a there, there's a really great film out there called uh, Gender Decoded. And I remember um, there, there, there's a part of the film where the, you, they talk about the, the number of women that were injured by airbags when they were first created in the 60s. And they couldn't understand why more women were being injured by airbags than, than men. But it was because the airbag was uh, developed by an all-male engineering team. So they, they had this bias for creating airbags with the male frame in mind. Um, and, and more women were being injured by airbags than men. So it makes for a better product. Men are, he- men are heavier, so therefore you needed a, a more powerful airbag for, for yeah. male torso. And women, just their size and stature, tend to sit closer to yeah. the steering wheel because their legs, on, on average, are shorter. Plus, they have soft tissue in different places, and the fat distribution is more weighted around their, yeah. their lower half. And so, that, so they tend to submerge or submarine under the seat belts because there's a lot of mass mm. in the seat. Whereas men, they have a, a high high density of mass in the torso, which tends to lean into the into the into the yeah. cross chest belt. Uh, and so, the whole design of the restraining system is biased around yeah. male design. And and there's other studies, and as you probably know, there's a there's a study about aspirin, and 
about if you're if you're susceptible to having a heart attack, taking half an aspirin a day uh, can alleviate heart yeah. symptoms. But that was biased around male test patients. And there's actually no evidence to support the fact that women benefit in, in at all from taking aspirin, whereas yeah. men do. So these are just little examples where our test group, no one's actually stood back and said, who, who is the test group? Why are they made up? What's the, what's the data we're getting out? What do we know from this? All we know is that, that men are okay and women haven't been yeah. thought about. It, I mean, it's, it's incredibly fascinating. And I mean, we could probably do a whole podcast episode on, on this alone. But, I mean, what I'd like to move on and talk to you about is, you know, some of the work that you do and around the specializing that you do around gender diversity. I mean, what should businesses be aware of right now in, you know, the contemporary stuff and the organizational stuff that they need to be thinking about, particularly given the current context that we find ourselves in. So we're recording this episode in the pandemic. The pandemic is throwing up loads of stuff around diversity and inclusion. But, you know, from the work that you do, what, what do businesses need to be aware of? I think the first fundamental thing is, is to recognize that the actual lived experience and the life experience of men and women is often different. There's, obvious, there's often a societal and personal imbalance between the roles of women and the roles of men. And this is not, this is not being sexist, this is not stereotyping. This is just often women take more responsibility for childcare. Mm. Often women take more mm. responsibility for the, the home economic admin, running the home. And, and men often take more responsibility for work and earning and, and traditional male roles. And, and whilst we're in the 21st century and we've come a long way, those gender imbalances still exist. It, not not everywhere, but in, in a good proportion. And what we have to recognise is in COVID and this lockdown situation, women are disproportionately disadvantaged in the home where they live in the family because they, they not only have to perform their work environment, their work task, and be a great employee or a great business leader, they also have to be a great home leader and a parent and home educator. And whilst it's true, many men join in with this. And again, I'm not, I'm not all, all the great fathers and great parents out there who are, who are male. You're doing a fantastic job. And I'm not trying to decry what you do. But often if a child falls over and grazes their knee, they run to mum. If a child wants help, their first reaction is to go to mum. And so whilst it, there may be a gender balance in responsibilities in the home, mum tends to be the primary person or the, or, the, or the female parent tends to be the primary person the child will go to. And, and that can have a, a, a huge knock-on. And then we think about things like domestic violence. And, and again, I, I appreciate that men are victims of, of or targets of domestic violence as well. But disproportionately, women are living in toxic relationships. So that the home life, without generalizing, is tends to be a lot trickier for, for, for women. And employers have, need to recognize that that gender imbalance in the COVID situation is something they need. So they can't treat all employees the same. They have to be very person-centric. Uh, but also, we have to also recognize that male suicide and men, male mental health is also a struggle. And that being a man is not easy either. So that there are a whole lot of factors here. And if you, if you spread that into maybe uh, LGBTQ, sexual diversity, gender diversity, the, the stress of maybe being in isolation, the stress of living with a toxic in a toxic home life environment, uh, the stress of not being able to go out 
and be you um, and be your authentic self with your chosen family rather than your home family is also a big pressure. So there's a huge amount of uh, things to think about there. And I, and I would say to, to employers, it's not just a case of thinking about between men and women, between white people and black people. It's about thinking about people as individuals, thinking about the their intersections, thinking about their needs, thinking about the stresses they have of being them and and dealing with them on a very personal level. I like the word that you used about being person-centric. Um, you know, I used to work in experience and design before I got into diversity and inclusion. And you know, we talked about taking a human-centered design approach when we were designing our, our digital products and services. So, you know, how, how can businesses be more pers- person-centric? How, how can they avoid having that kind of blanket approach that so many businesses do take when they're designing diversity and inclusion um, interventions or programs. For sure, for sure, yeah. And I mean, I, I've, I've developed the phraseology through working with healthcare, uh, working with the healthcare professionals in NHS and other private, other private sectors, that uh, person-centric design for me is a fundamental part of diversity and inclusion initiatives. And yes, if you're a huge organisation, you can't be person-centric to the minutiae but you always have to think about the person at the end of the policy and the impact that a decision or a voice, a language or a statement may make to someone who doesn't think or react in the same way you do. So I want us to talk about language now because you you work with organisations to help them become trans-positive organisations and we've previously talked about language and what you've said in the past to me has really resonated with me as as somebody with a disability um people are sometimes afraid of saying the wrong thing or causing offense so they either make daft mistakes um i've had people patting me on the head before um which if ever you do that i will bark back at you by the way um or they avoid talking to me or you know, avoid the situation altogether, which means that we end up with inaction, nothing happening. Um, so what, can you, what's your thoughts around language and what's good language, bad language, when, that, I don't know, oh, that kind of thing? Yeah. I think we all have to recognise that language evolves. Mm. Language that was great language or common language 20, 30, 40, 50 years ago is not great language today. I mean, the word spastic, mm. it was a very acceptable language. There was a spastic society. It, it meant something. It was only when the language was turned into pejorative phraseology, it became a negative, mm. it falls out of fashion. And again, the word handicap is was a very commonly used word, and now we've turned that around. Mm. Uh, and you apply that language to the same language in my own characteristic. We've, we've used the word transvestite. We've used the, the word transsexual. We've used language that was contemporary but language evolved because the connotations and they became pejorative and and, and what we needed to do was escape those words and and define new language that was owned if you like by the community Mm. so queer is another great word you know that that, i know i know many people that hear the word queer and it strikes shivers down them they've they've been the target of you had that word being used against Mm. them but now, you know, look at the younger generation, being queer, gender queer, 
queer community, identifying as I'm I'm queer as an identity, and it's being reclaimed. and And we can look at that that word in other characteristics in in the disability community, in the, the race and faith communities, where they've owned the slur and turned it into an identity. And so I, I think, yeah, la- language you need to, you need to have, have some cultural sensitivity and some EQ. So yeah, both of those CQ and EQ to kind of understand the context in how you speak, the person with whom you're communicating with. And I, I, always, I always talk about being accountable. So if I say something, I need to be accountable for my voice. And it's not just about my intent. It's about my impact. I didn't intend to hurt you, but, but the impact was I did. And then I have to own that and say, well, I'm sorry. I, I, how could I do that better next time? So I, I always, I always have a lot of time for people who own their language, who own their impact, who own their own footprint and who they are. What I find very hard is when people push it back. Yeah. The classic, it was a mistake. It is kind of like pushing it away. It, who, who, who made the mistake? Oh, you've made the mistake, but you're not owning that. You're pushing it away. You're it. So own it, be accountable, be vulnerable, apologize, move on and don't do it again. Is it? And so that, that's the important thing. But yeah, anyway, well, I mentioned some words earlier, transvestite, transsexual. People still identify with those terms, but we've moved on. Cross-dressing is, is an acceptable term now for someone who was previously called a transvestite and transsexual. People who are trans generally don't use that word because gender identity is an identity. It's, 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 a, it's above the shoulders, whereas transsexual, the implication is it's below the waist. So that's, that's the kind of nuancing difference that we've got to kind of be sensitive to. And, but ask, you know, if, if someone's not sure how to greet you, they say, Toby, is it okay if I shake your hand? And you say, oh, I'd rather you didn't. I'd rather you, you, you shook this hand instead. Yeah. Obi, would you would you prefer me to crouch down and speak to you? Would you rather I stood up and leant over you? You can say, well, actually, if you pull up a chair, that's that's, that's best for me. Mm-hmm. And, and so it's it's actually reaching out to the person you're trying to communicate with, and being person centric and saying, how is this going to work best for you? And I'll meet you halfway, yeah. and we can work on it together. It's interesting because even in like the disability community, we one one of the biggest debates is whether we say disabled people or persons with disability. And there's arguments on both sides of the fence. And some people are like staunch uh, person first language where they say, no, I'm a person with a disability. I'm not a disabled person because that's kind of, you know, putting the condition or the the, the, the medical uh, need first. Whereas, you know, my, my preference is I'm, I'm a disabled person when I, when I introduce myself to people. Part of that is laziness. If I'm honest, it's, it's fewer words, <laughs> but it's just something I've, grown used to it's just something i'm quite happy with but i think actually people just need to ask you know how what language do you like to use how do you like to self-identify i mean i i'm because i'm not i don't identify within the, the disability community as such i tend to say both both phrases and i tend to say a disabled person or a person with a disability in a, in a phrase to be inclusive of both identities and, and then explain mm. why i've said that because I know someone are passionate about that. It's almost like the Gulliver's Travel. Which which end of the egg do you open? Is it the pointy end or is it the round end? Something, uh, and <laughs> you have to be culturally sensitive to the, to the needs of the community you're talking to. And there's 
big D deaf and there's small D deaf, isn't there? And then, and there's, uh, yeah, various different, uh, different languages you've got to learn. And if you're listening to this podcast and this is blowing your mind, you get really confused about it. Welcome to our club. You know, this is kind of, even when you're in the DNI space, it's not that easy, but as I say, it's about emotional intelligence and cultural intelligence where you have the tools in your tool set, in your, in your own personality to be able to navigate these waters with respect, with curiosity, but understanding your impact and what that impact could do to somebody. Yeah, I'm, I'm glad you raised that because, um, you know, but you know, both you and I work in the diversity and inclusion space or the industry. Uh, and there are times when I get it wrong. Um, you know, even when we were planning this, this recording together, uh, I felt at times that I was stuttering through our conversation because I wasn't sure what the right language to use was. I didn't want to cause offense. And I think I said something like transgender issues and, you know, it's not an issue as such, you know, it's a, but yeah. we, we, it's we, it's not to me. Yeah. You're yeah. making it my issue. So I think, yeah. Yeah. But I think we both have the skills to kind of navigate through, through mm. that. And, um, you know, I have, I, yeah, have that open mind really. So what does, you know, this is the inclusive growth show. But what, what does inclusive growth mean to you and the work that you do with your clients? I, I suppose, I mean, I don't, I don't necessarily use that phrase actively in my, in my, in my, in my, in my, in my vocabulary. So I'm, I'm thinking, what does it mean to me hearing you ask me that question? So I, I describe the DNI, whatever it is, as a journey. There is no endpoint, you know, and I also also describe it as an infinite journey. We're never going to get to the end of this. Uh, and what we should do is every so often look over our shoulders, see how far we come, not just judge it by how far we've got to go. So we, we can look back and say, we have achieved a lot. We've still got more to do. So I say inclusive growth maybe is plotting your course on that journey. And for me, it's about trajectory and velocity. Picking, picking a destination. Making sure that you've got the navig it's navigatable. You've got you've got the resources. You've got the fuel. You've got all the resources you need to achieve that navigation, a and find a velocity and pace that is sustainable. There's no point in going hell for leather into a destination, then realizing when you get there you've overshot, or the world's changed under your feet on the way and you haven't noticed. So it's about trajectory and velocity knowing where you're starting and where you want to go and how you want to get there. That's brilliant. I love it. Thanks, Joe. Um, before we go, how does the person listening to this interview get in touch with you if they want to talk to you further about your work or, uh, you know, you've got a, a great Trans Allies handbook that you you give out to people. So how, how can they get in touch with you? Well, I always suggest to people that they start with LinkedIn. So if you connect me on LinkedIn, if you search for Joanne Lockwood or Joe Lockwood, that's a great place to start. Uh, connection request, uh, you don't need to put a message in there, but if you do say, hello, Joe, um, heard you on Toby's uh, podcast. Uh, can I have a copy of your Trans Allies guidebook handbook? And I'll send you a copy. I'll send you the link. Um, you can also visit my website, which is cchangehappen.co.uk. That's S-E-E, changehappen.co.uk. And do subscribe to my podcast, which is Inclusion Bytes. If you search for that in Google, it's the podcast with the, the, the bright red um, toy teeth and a little emoji that looks a bit like me on top. 
And I also have a newsletter, which comes out every Thursday morning at, at 7.30 in the morning. Uh, and I give you something to listen to, something to read, something to watch. Just a little bite-sized thing for the weekend, so you can take it away and maybe have a browse instead of the Sunday paper. But all of those methods are a great way of getting in contact with me and keeping in touch. Excellent. Thanks, Joe. Thank you for joining me on this episode of the Inclusive Go Show. I've really enjoyed our, our conversation. Um, and thank you for tuning into this episode uh, with Joe and myself. Uh, if you do want to get in touch with Joe, please do so um, with the uh, with the ways that she outlined earlier. Um, if you have enjoyed our conversation and you, you know a colleague, a family or a friend that would be interested in this episode, please do share it with them. Uh, until then, uh, please do tune in for the next episode. I look forward to seeing you then. Thanks very much. Thank you for listening to the Inclusive Growth Show. For further information and resources from Toby and his team, head on over to our website at milden.co.uk.